you've got your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one in the pew. It's not the exact translation, but uh, we'd like you to follow along. It's uh, very much word-based. We trust the word. We look to it for guidance in all of life. And uh, so we ask that even as we're preaching that you have it in front of you so you can see it uh, and follow along and see if I'm making crazy stuff up. So, uh, last week... Samuel preached on one of the more difficult texts in Scripture, in Acts. Uh, in fact, he accused me of setting him up with that text later on, and I should have done that, but I didn't. Uh, he did a great job with it. If you missed it, you can listen to it on our website. Uh, we post them there. And so, uh, last week what we saw was uh, the apostles who had remained in Jerusalem when a number of people went to Samaria. Uh, they came to Samaria after there was a great response to the gospel. Uh, and the Holy Spirit came to the new believers there. Um, and there's Simon the magician who tries to buy the Holy Spirit. Uh, the apostles reprimand him, uh, to put it lightly, and they return back to Jerusalem. The apostles return back to Jerusalem. Uh, and so our text this morning is actually going to go back and kind of pick up where Philip left off. Uh, remember, Philip is not one of the apostles. He was one of the seven men who were chosen to serve uh, widows in the church, and then next thing we know, he's in Samaria preaching, and now God's going to send him somewhere else. So hopefully someone else is caring for these widows at this point, um, because he's taken on a more evangelistic role in that regard. And so we're going to be reading today Acts 8, uh, starting in verse 26. And uh, so let's do that. Follow along as I read. <clears throat> Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. And so Philip ran up to him and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this gener his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about, say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at, Az at Azotus. And, he passed through, uh, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. God, thank you for the air moving in and out of our lungs at this very moment. 
Thank you for the blood being pumped by our hearts through a hundred thousand miles of veins. Thank you for the activity in our brains that allow us to understand language so that we might hear and understand your holy word on these pages before us. Give us hunger to read them, to know them, to believe them, and to apply them to our very lives this day. Make us awake and focus now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, quick fact. You might have noticed there's no verse 37 uh, in most of your translations in front of you. Uh, one of my kids pointed this out recently as she was uh, OCD-ishly circling every single verse as she went through the chapter uh, and uh, realized that 37 was missing. 37 is missing uh, because it's not included in, a lot of, in most of the early Greek manuscripts. Uh, the missing verse, if your text doesn't tell you right there, says this. It says, regard to baptism, it says, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So whether this verse is included or not does not change the message of the gospel one single bit, not at all. Um, and so it's not a significant thing in that regard. I'll set you at ease in that regard. But I do want to mention it so you don't see it missing and wonder the whole time, where to go? What's missing? Um, so regarding the verses that we do have that are here before us, uh, there's two ways to view these. Uh, and both of these views would absolutely be correct. From one point of view, this is a story of a man who is an utter outsider, complete outsider in his culture, and he's even more an outsider uh, when it comes to his place in the covenant community, the Jewish community in that regard, uh, of God's people. And he's on this search for truth. He's wanting to understand. He's, he's seeking out God and really desiring to know. Um, and that would be a right way to view this. The, another way we can view this, another angle of this story, is that uh, it's, about, it's a story about God going to extraordinary lengths, searching out and redeeming one of his chosen children, finding him no matter what. Uh, Philip in this story is merely an instrument in the hands of God, delivering the good news of the gospel to some stranger who will become his brother in Christ. Uh, so let's look at this. The first thing we see in this text uh, is that an angel of God tells Philip to go somewhere. We have no idea how he knew this was an angel, if this person was glowing or, or came with some sort of sign or, or what it might be. We don't know why, why he knew this was an angel, but um, what he's asking him to do is a very significant thing because this is a long way. Uh, it'd be like someone telling you, I want you to walk to Dodge City right now and stop somewhere in the middle and hang out there. Uh, you know, it's going to be a very long travel. This, this angel tells them to go to a place that is southwest of Jerusalem. Uh, if you recall, three weeks ago, when we were a few texts back, uh, we had learned that the, they went down to Samaria and they preached, and there was this huge response to the gospel. Uh, a massive number of people had believed uh, the gospel there. And so um, you can imagine Philip would have felt a need. I should stay here. We need to disciple these people. We need to bring them along. This is where I need to be. And yet he's being sent off uh, to a place that is overwhelmingly void of human beings. Uh, there's not a lot of opportunity for ministry there. Uh, verse 26 even tells us this is a desert place, in case we're wondering, you know. Uh, no, there's not much there. So it would have taken many weeks for him to get to that location. I know sometimes in Scripture we're like, the next verse, he's there. Uh, so try to understand there is a long process for him to actually get where he's going. Uh, and when he gets there, into this deserted place, suddenly a chariot shows up. Uh, probably a little excitement just to see something. And seated in that chariot is a man, and this man is reading the prophet Isaiah. 
don't picture him on like his, his app phone reading something little bitty where you can't really tell what it is. He's, he's reading the, the, you know, the scroll of Isaiah, which was uh, a huge scroll. I don't usually have visual things, but in the bathroom I noticed this today. It'd be like him reading something like this. So you can imagine um, it was real obvious that he was reading something significant in that regard. It had been about 25 feet long. Um, you couldn't hide these things back then. And so we see in this text then uh, that the Spirit tells Philip to, to go and join the eunuch. You know, go over there. Um, and we don't know what the Spirit speaking here was like. I, I really wish there was more here that we could see, and we don't know. We don't know if it was something audible that the Spirit says to him uh, in that unique way, or, or if he's just uh, has this feeling that he should go over there at this moment, and he, later he looks back and he realizes that was the Spirit working, it, working in him. Uh, whatever the case, Philip gets close enough to hear what the eunuch is, is reading, um, and, and he makes that first move, that first awkward move. He crosses that invisible, cultural, social line to speak to a stranger. You ever do that? Um, you ever talk to that person in the coffee shop? You see what they're reading or hear what they're talking about, and you, and you, you kind of get involved in whatever is going on with them? Well, you're sitting on a plane and, and the guy next to you and, and you kind of start to have that conversation or you have that feeling, should I talk to them? Will I be stuck talking to them? Um, I know you introverts are like, nope. Never tempted to talk to a stranger, not even a little bit. I like my silence. In fact, it's people like you that freak me out. I don't want you talking to me. Um, but Philip here does speak to the man. You notice Luke then gives us this incredibly detailed profile of this man, probably terms the guy would rather not be known by. Um, first, he's in a chariot, which tells us he had access to a great deal of wealth. The fact that he's sitting in the back just riding uh, is even more significant. There was a lot of wealth at his disposal. Uh, and we see there, the reason is that he's the treasurer for Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Uh, Candace is not the queen's actual name. This was a dynasty name. It'd be like saying the pharaoh or... Uh, Caesar, uh, things of that nature. And his position in her court carries power and, and significance in his homeland. That's why he was able to take a trip like this. Uh, from that, we learn that he's an Ethiopian. Uh, for those of you like me that are incredibly geographically challenged, uh, that is in Africa, a meaning he would have had very dark skin. He would have looked very different from Philip. Uh, he would have stood out clearly as a Gentile at this point. Uh, it also tells us he's a eunuch. Uh, that is a man who has been castrated. It's one of these things that's not really easy to explain without getting awkward. Um, but sometime, uh, something, uh, sometimes they were made eunuchs against their will in a case like slavery. Uh, other times they would actually willingly do this. And they would do so because it would move them from a, a lower class in society to a higher one with a great responsibility. Uh, and so they would willingly do this. When it was willingly, it was because they chose career over having family, over having children, uh, over a lot of those things. Uh, we still see people make that choice in our culture today, but never with as much irreversible finality as it is in this case. Um, being a eunuch then was, was fairly common for men who were serving uh, queens or any women who were in positions of power. Uh, and the idea behind it was simply that it would guarantee uh, sexual safety and fidelity of the queen. I uh, was a safeguard in that regard. And so when, when reading the scripture, though, we know that uh, the author of scripture is often doing things intentionally. They give us information. And, uh, and sometimes it's very helpful for us to ask this question, you know, um, why was this included? Why did the author tell me this? 
This is certainly one of those situations. Uh, we should be asking when we see this, why does Luke tell us this man is a eunuch? You know, why not just say some wealthy guy in a chariot? Or uh, he met an Ethiopian traveling back home. And, and the reason that he tells us is that this man was an incredible outsider by all accounts. You know, he didn't have a natural um, or cultural place in the Jewish community, which is terribly sad when we realize that he's returning from Jerusalem, having traveled many months to go worship God, uh, a God who is clearly working in his heart for him to do this, uh, for him to be making such a huge effort to go and worship God. Surely when he got there, he really felt like an outcast in Jerusalem. Uh, he didn't look like the people. He wouldn't have even been able to, to go further than the court of Gentiles. He would have been kept from going to the main part of the temple. Uh, if it was known that he was a eunuch, he wouldn't have been allowed in at all. We don't know if he was or not, but if that were the case, he, uh, because Deuteronomy 23.1 tells us that uh, any emasculated man was completely removed or separated from the worshiping community. Now on his travels home, he's been reading Isaiah and and when Philip speaks to him and asks him this, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch's response tells us that he's teachable. Even after all this rejection, he's not bitter. He's still seeking for truth. He's seeking for answers that will tell him uh, who God is. And we see that God is clearly working in his life already. Uh, so as we think about who the eunuch might be in our culture, I know when we read these, we start thinking, okay, so who's in our culture? Um, it's not just the outcast. It's not the person who is antagonistic to Christianity. It's, a, it's the man or the woman who is seeking to make sense of the world, really seeking out answers. Um, you know, you look at the eunuch's response here. How can, I, how can I unless someone guides me? He's reading Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. That's what the text is specifically there. Uh, and he wants to know who is this speaking about when it says, Like a sheep, he is led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, um, so he opens not his mouth. Well, boy, wouldn't you love to have a situation where someone asked you that? We don't really get that in our situation very often, do we? Uh, but Philip then comes in and he does for the eunuch what Jesus did for the apostles and what the apostles surely did for others in the community. And he shows them how the Old Testament points to and speaks about Christ all throughout. And our text here says that Philip told him the good news about Jesus. This man was broken in a physical way that mirrored the way he was broken spiritually. Can you imagine? Can you imagine hearing this news from Philip that he was now invited by faith in Christ to have full membership in the community of God's people? A man who had been rejected in so many ways, being told, you know, through Christ you can belong. A man who thought he didn't have a place in society is, is learning that there is a place for him in Christ. It's interesting um, that he has in his possession this Isaiah scroll. Uh, because a few chapters later in Isaiah 56, there's a prophecy uh, for the foreigner, which he is, and for the eunuch, uh, which he is. Isaiah 56, 3 through 5 says this, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a, a dry tree without fruit. Uh, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me, and 
hold fast my covenant, I will give my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. As a eunuch, he would have no descendants. And yet God is saying to the eunuch here that, uh, to the eunuch that trusted in him, that there is a place in my covenant family. There is a place in my house forever. Uh, we know the eunuch believes the gospel. That's real clear in this text. Uh, when Philip tells him of the good news of Jesus, he, Jesus, um, he asked to be baptized. He asked for this, this sign of the covenant. He asked for this when he sees water. Uh, and this marks his, his entrance into the community, the covenant community. And this marks the beginning of his discipleship process as a Christian. Uh, you know, honestly, we don't learn a lot here in regards to the mode of baptism. Um, if he was dunked or sprinkled, we have no idea how deep the water was. Um, so there's very little in that regard here. But what is interesting is, is just how quickly he gets baptized here. How quickly it was administered to him. Later, later the early church is going to have a, a longer waiting period uh, before allowing adult baptism with teaching and understanding to make sure they understand further. Uh, and so we don't know if this is like Sam was talking last week, a, a unique situation in history one time. Uh, it certainly might have been. Uh, so there are a few things worth, worth noting in all of this. Uh, first is that Philip approached and shared the gospel with them. I don't know if we realize like, what a significant thing that is. He's, he's walking up to a guy of very different color skin, very different culture. The man is in a powerful position, uh, perhaps effeminate in a way that might have creeped him out as a result of him being a eunuch. We don't know exactly. Um, there were many reasons to believe this man is not the best candidate for receiving the gospel. Um, it's like Samuel said last week that we all have our own personal Samaritans, people that we think can't possibly believe the gospel, that aren't really good candidates for us to speak to. Uh, and I think we can learn here that, that we ought to speak uh, or be willing to speak of Jesus to absolutely anyone we encounter. Um, the hipster, right? Might scare you at times. Uh, the woman wearing the head covering. And I say that even knowing that's a controversial thing, but the idea that, you know what, they don't want to hear the gospel. Well, maybe they do. Maybe they need to. Really, any grouping of people who has a derogatory slang term that you might be able to define them by uh, are the people we might be thinking of here. You know, for the sake of the gospel, we must be willing to cross these cultural boundaries that seem to scare us at times. Uh, it's worth noting again that this eunuch was interested in the things of God. See, he had just returned from Jerusalem where he went to worship. This uh, is at least a five-month trip. He had that scroll, which was rare. Uh, see, the only... The only way you have your own personal scroll, scroll at this time is if you're rich and you really want to possess one. You would have had to, uh, the effort to go to actually acquiring your own personal copy. Uh, and when you find people who have an interest of God, understand this, when you find people who have an interest in God, no matter how misdirected they are, pour into those people. I mean, what are the chances that a man carrying the burdens that this eunuch is carrying, searching for answers in the middle of nowhere, might run across someone like Philip. And yet he does. He does because God pursues his people. He pursues this outcast with his fatherly love. See, God's provided through Philip what this man needs to understand the gospel and to believe the gospel. And God may just use you in the same role that he uses Philip here. I mentioned it before, but I, I, I think about how God, you know, think about how God has provided for you to, to explain the scriptures to you over the years. Think about how you first came to hear the gospel. 
or maybe if that's too far back, how you first came to learn about the doctrines of grace. Did your parents teach you? Did you attend church somewhere? Did you, did you hear it on a radio show or a podcast? Or did someone hand you mere Christianity or chosen by God to read? Um, did a friend answer some questions you might have had? I mean, have you ever been sitting someplace even, and, and there's someone else there, and you consider maybe God has me in this position, maybe has me in this place, so that I might be able to tell them the good news of Jesus? Does that cross your mind that that's, that might be why you're somewhere? And I'm not talking about some mystical sense, you know, God told me this sort of thing. Uh, but maybe God, God gave me an unbelieving neighbor for the purpose of having a conversation with them uh, that will be part of their conversion story they tell someday. Or part of their truly understanding what grace is. You know, maybe, maybe we get to be Philip in their life. So here's what this means for all of us. I think one of the things we see here is we, we've got to know the scriptures. We've got to read and study and apply the word to our lives. You know, Philip would not have been much help uh, if he didn't know the scriptures. If, if he'd gone over to this, this eunuch, this Ethiopian, and he'd said, Isaiah, wow, I have no idea. Well, have a good trip home. Very different story. Um, and I think many of us would find ourselves in that situation if we were asked about certain aspects of Scripture. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget, and I'm not saying you've got to be some huge theologian, but uh, you know, I'll never forget a friend. Uh, we were, Laura and I were part of a Bible study at, at Texas A&M, and, and afterwards, going up to the worship leader guy and, and this guy named Ross King and, and asking him uh, this question. And the guy gave this incredible answer. And we're all sitting around thinking, wow, he's a theological genius. Uh, and then at the end, he, he adds this statement that really put it all in perspective. He said, the only reason I know the answer is that I happened to be reading that this morning in my Bible. It wasn't that he was a theological genius. It was that he was in the Word that morning and God used it. So I'm not saying you have to have all the answers. Don't hear that. But I also know that if you aren't in the Word, if you aren't growing, if you're depriving yourself of that, you are depriving yourself of having answers for people when they ask, even yourself. So let me ask you a question about this text also. Uh, was this discipleship or evangelism? See, the eunuch was interested in God on one level, he was simply explaining scripture to him. And yet the man didn't know Christ as his savior. Philip explained the simple gospel to him. I think we tend to have these strong divisions between discipleship and, a, and evangelism and um, you know, when, what we consider in those. We think of evangelism simply as uh, being when we tell someone about Jesus and their need to have faith in him. And then we think of discipleship uh, where we help someone who already trusts in Jesus to mature in their faith. And that's certainly true definitions. Uh, but I think it's actually helpful for us at times to blend the lines between evangelism and discipleship, to understand uh, that someone might, they might know a great deal about Christianity, about scripture, about the things of Christianity, and, and yet not have faith in Christ. Someone also might trust in Christ and know very little about the scriptures at this point in their life. Uh, so if we, if we aim or make our aim to disciple others, no matter where they are spiritually, uh, we'll do a great, great deal to advance the Great Commission. Uh, Sometimes we simply need to ask good questions to know how to prog progress with someone, progress with someone. Uh, we might ask, if you don't believe the gospel, what prevents you from believing the gospel? And simple questions like that with people. Or, uh, you know, what's something about Christianity you don't understand you want to know more of? Uh, these are the kind of conversations you might have with people. 
All right, so let me, let me try to bring this all together for us. Uh, Luke places this story uh, in the moment, in the moment that we see the gospel going out. It's going out beyond Jerusalem, by, beyond Samaria, beyond Judea, uh, going out to the world, and we're seeing it in this moment. And he does it to make this point, to make it absolutely clear that wherever we go, whatever culture we come into, whatever situation of sin or exclusion or human need or oppression that we might find, that the message of Jesus, the promises of God in the gospel, meet their needs, their real needs. And so I don't know if we, if we realize, if we really realize how amazing it is that we have real answers. Real answers to the search for meaning and, and purpose and forgiveness and a, and a world that really is just filled with suffering of all sorts, unknown. Uh, about seven years ago while I was riding on the Katy Trail, uh, a friend and I stayed in the home of a, another friend. This guy was the, the entomologist. You know what an entomologist is? Um, it's like a doctor, a bug studier. Uh, someone's an expert in bugs. I didn't know these things existed until I met him. Uh, but he's the entomologist for the state of Missouri. And, um, and, and so we, uh, you know, I asked him, like, so what's going on in the world of bugs? Just kind of joking with him. Uh, and he took it real serious and answered me. Uh, he told me that they were spending bunches of money to alert the people of some Asian beetle that was killing some certain type of tree. I don't remember what it was. Um, it probably doesn't exist at this point. Uh, and I asked them if, if, you know, well, great, are you going to be able to stop it? And he's like, no. Um, there's nothing we can do about this. Nothing can stop this. And, and then I asked him, you know, why, do you, why are you bothering spending money telling people about this? And he said, I really don't know. I'm supposed to. Um, which, you know, is a political thing a lot of people won't appreciate. But uh, as much as we talk about sin, this is where it connects, in case you're wondering where the bug guy comes in. As much as we talk about sin, about the wrath of God, about man's failure to live right in this life, uh, we do so with hope. We do so with a solution. And, and that's an amazing thing. And I don't know if you realize that. It's, it's not like telling people that, you know, there's a bug in the world and we can't stop it, so carry on. Um, you know, does it ever cross your mind that when you're talking to people, I really know what they need? I mean, if you believe that, if you know that, sometimes that's the moment that makes us speak up. I know what you need. I, I have real eternal hope to offer. Jesus is that hope. Because Jesus drinks the cup of wrath. Jesus takes our sin on himself and, and God pours his wrath out on him. See, what becomes abundantly clear in a text like this is that the good news of the gospel addresses and accomplishes the single, singular need of humanity to move from being under God's wrath to being in a place of peace with God. There is so much that comes with that. Our passage then ends with them, them going in different ways. Uh, you kind of see Philip just kind of disappear it's hard to know if it meant like poof and he's in the next place or if it meant he's like goodbye and off he goes. Um, I mean, either way, they split ways. Um, the unit continues back to Ethiopia. Our text says he went on his way rejoicing, rejoicing that he who was an outsider has been adopted into the eternal family of God by grace through faith. Rejoicing because he belongs. 
It's clear we've, we've understood the good news that the gospel is good news when we rejoice at it, when we respond with that rejoicing in our hearts and our voice and our whatever. Uh, Philip continues up the coast. He goes 50 miles preaching the gospel in towns. Uh, this is the last time we're going to see Philip until Acts 21, which someone do the math as many verses, chapters later. Um, and, and there, what we learn, so the next thing we learn about Philip actually is that uh, when he gets to Caesarea, the last place mentioned here, he settles down. He gets married. He has four daughters who are followers of Christ, and, and that's where he lives to the end of his days. Um, let me end by saying this, though. Don't, don't underestimate the power of, of God in the hearts of man. He can soften whatever is hard. He can heal what is broken. He can give sight to the blind. He can give speech to the mute. He can give ears to the deaf and warmth to those who are spiritually cold, wisdom to the foolish and the ignorant, life to the dead, um, and faith to the doubter. I don't know if you realize how amazing that is. God can give faith to the doubter. It's God who does the amazing work of redemption and growth. And so don't over-evaluate gospel opportunities that present themselves before you. Uh, sometimes we, we sit, should I, shouldn't I, is this the right time, am I going to mess this up? You know, will their eternal destiny be ruined because I say something stupid? Uh, don't overestimate or don't over-evaluate uh, those situations. When given the opportunity to tell the good news of Jesus, take those opportunities. What God does with the news in the hearts of the broken, the prideful, the privileged, the outcast, that's for God's consideration, for him to work with. Uh, it's not ours. Ours is simply to be the messenger, to be the tools in, in the hand of God. Uh, find joy in that. Not stress, not pressure. pressure. There is no, no number you have to hit. There is no quota. Uh, but you do carry with you a message that is freeing, eternally redeeming. Don't be afraid to, to share that. Let's pray. Lord, if I have preached anything false this day, may it be forgotten. And if it be true, may we carry that with us out into our homes and our community, our places of work and our school. God, thank you for pursuing us and putting faith in our hearts to believe the gospel. We ask that you would make us tools in your hand to explain the world to others, to show the eternal perils of our sinful lives and to give hope through the good news that Jesus is Lord and has taken the wrath of God upon himself so that the cup of our sinful nature that we have merited now sits empty. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.